de tú. Welcome to Rebellious Soul, a podcast about challenging the status quo while finding your true, authentic self. I'm your host, Sol Garcia. Get ready, because we're about to get uncomfortable. Welcome to Rebellious Soul. I am now going to conclude three parts of this little series on my experience with COVID. Um, the first part, I came out with the news that a lot of people did not know. Uh, that I did have COVID while I was pregnant. And the second part, I had my doctor on, which was a very interesting conversation. It has a lot of experience with working with pregnant women um, during a time of uh, in a pandemic, as there was one here in Mexico City years ago. And he had a lot of great information to share. And now I want to conclude this by sharing my birth story and what it was like to have a baby uh, at the hospital during these times and also what it's like now to have a baby at home because it's not the same. I don't think things are ever going to be the same actually. Um, there's some some positive things about that because I think in some ways we there are lessons to have been learned during this time and I think some things will be even better and of course there are just others that are just it just sucks and we have to adapt and it's hard and it's difficult. And, you know, it's not all so great. Obviously it's been a very, very hard year for so many. So I was actually eight months pregnant when I first started these podcasts, I recorded some at eight months and then literally like I recorded some, a couple of, maybe a week or two before I had my baby so much has changed since then. Um, and like I said, those were the, the, the two that I first shared. And um, it was interesting to come out with the story because if you listen to the first one, you will see that, you know, just in me talking about it, we're risking a lot of judgment and also, you know, people freaking out about it. So it was something that I didn't say, hey, guys, I, caught, I got COVID online um, because I was still I was pregnant and I was very protective of my peace. And not dealing with, you know, what people's opinions were. I was very, very protective of my peace and this baby. And But I'm so glad that I shared and that I'm going to be sharing a little bit more today. Um, we are not, like I've mentioned before, in no way ashamed that we got uh, COVID. And it does bother me that people would want to shame us. But I do think that in sharing it helps others to come out because there are many, many out there that are not saying anything uh, because they don't want you, listener, to shame them or criticize them or to freak people out. This is such become such a politicized uh, thing, like so much else. But this is one of the main topics that's so politicized right now that people are just like, I don't even want to deal with talking about it, uh, which I understand. But I'm here to talk about it. You know, this is so much misinformation and the mess that's become of social media. I think it's more important now than ever that we hear personal stories uh, during such pivotal and historic times. You know, when I think about it, it is in personal storytelling that we can bypass biased media sources and we can leave a mark through our own and very real source of history. So I understand why people wouldn't want to share these things, but I encourage you to consider that and to share your personal stories. So as we start, I, I do want to note that the CDC has declared uh, that the coronavirus is now the world's most deadliest infectious 
uh, disease. That's 930,000 deaths uh, worldwide. Of course, there are many people who don't trust the CDC anymore. And sadly, we are stuck in our disagreements, conspiracy theories, and the propaganda that we receive on both sides of the aisle to even have civil conversations and make smart and clear plans to save lives, um, you know, plans that we can all agree on. I think that's one of the saddest things for me. Uh, there's so many, not just the deaths that I mentioned, but, you know, other things that I've mentioned in my other podcast before this one, you know, the mental health issues, people who are dealing with this, who are in poverty, people of color. I mean, we're not, and of course, our vulnerable, vulnerable community. I don't think to this point, we as a society have gotten to a clear place where we can say, this is the plan to, to care for our most vulnerable people, which is, should be the focus. And it's, it's not, I don't think it is. I think we're stuck, so stuck in our disagreements. And again, that is why I'm sharing and why I think it's so important. Um, so I'll start first. This is very personal. Aside from what I just said, I don't want to get any more deeper into the political side. I just think it was important to mention that. But it is very personal. And I want to share first the birth of our baby, Vida, and what that was like. This is my first baby. I am, you know, it's crazy because you go through life and you have so many friends and who are moms and you know, you, of course, you have your own mom and there's conversations that you can have about, you know, when you were born and, but it's not until you go through it that you're like, oh my God. Um, you know, I, one thing that I've learned in my life that I think helped me a lot through the birth, uh, that I think is very helpful that I apply in life. And I applied during this time of pregnancy, especially during COVID, a pandemic and and when it was time to have the baby is, you know, to make plans and to have a direction as to where you want to go, but to stay flexible because life is going to do what life is going to do. And so that's what happened when it came time to give birth. I had an idea, a direction uh, of what I wanted to do. And that was, okay, well, ideally I would love to have it be natural. I want to, I don't want a cesarean. I don't want to program or schedule this birth. I don't want, uh, I would like to not have an epidural. I'd like to be able to work through the pain, but um, I'm not making any promises. And I told my doctor also, you know, of course, if there's an emergency, uh, you have to do what you have to do. But I do not want this idea of a cesarean birth pushed on me. And I want to try and go for it without, you know, the epidural. And he understood that. But of course, like I said, that you have to stay flexible. And that's what helped me so so much. And I had read so much about uh, different uh, birthing stories. Uh, many of them, most of them actually positive because, you know, there's so much out there in, in TV land and in what people share. That's just like these scary, horrific stories of how painful it is. And it's, and I mean, for most of us, we have this idea of like the screaming up the top of your lungs and it's just so painful and the blood and it's gory. And finally the baby comes in, you forget everything and you, and you cry and that's it. And um, so I really wanted to like really inundate my mind with positive birthing stories. And I did that beforehand. And I think that was also very helpful. So basically what happened with me was I you know, on the 30th, I think it was the 30th of July. Yes. I started finally getting contractions. And I say finally, because my baby was due 
on the no, it was on the 29th because on the 30th is when my baby was her due date. So I started to finally get contractions and I was so close to the due date. Uh, so I was glad <laughs> I was more than was more than ready to meet her. And, you know, I had contractions for like, I don't know, throughout the day, you know, they were getting more and more painful, but very manageable, I felt. And I called my doctor. He said, well, come in to my office. This is office is there right next to the hospital. He said, and I'll check you. So I went in and I was at one centimeter dilated. I need to be at tech to have this baby. So I was just at one. And he said, we can, you can go to the hospital now. We can start a process where you get induced and get this going and maybe by morning. And I said, no, I, I want to keep it, you know, I just want her to come when she's ready. So let's, I'll go home. I'll work it. Uh, I'll work the pain and then I'll be in touch. He said, that's perfectly fine. That's great. So I went home and let's just say that from the time that I first started getting contractions to the time I went back to the hospital had been 30 hours. And from the time that I went home after that conversation, I had the pain just got stronger and stronger and more. It was interesting. It got stronger and stronger, but then the contractions were not getting closer together. So at times they were every 10 minutes, at times they were every eight, at times they were every 15, and then they got every 30, and then they went back to every 15, every 10. So it was like all over the place. And really they need to be so much closer. They need to be, you know, five, let's say, for you to really start coming into the hospital. So thanks to my husband who helped with these hot compresses and applying pressure, and like a birthing app, hypnobirthing app that I was using that really helped me. It's called the Freya. Um, and, you know, the breathing and all of that, I just was able to work it through the night. And I, I remember at night, it was just like, wow, it was very, very painful. But all those things helped me. And I spent the whole night breathing working through the pain and it was coming consistently at night every 15 minutes. So I literally would take 10, 12 minute naps, 13 minute naps. And then I would wake up from the pain and then start breathing and just work it, work the contraction. And that's how I spent all night. So I was exhausted by the time the day came, but the pain kept coming and then it was further apart. And then all of a sudden it came really close together with really intense pain. So by the time the evening came again, uh, I thought, well, I'm just going to keep working this. And, and then the pain just got so strong um, that I almost threw up. And I just was like, wow, okay, it's been a while since I saw the doctor. I think it had been over 24 hours since I saw the doctor. I was in a lot of pain and I said, that's it. Like, I, we, we need to go to the hospital and see what we can do. So we went to the hospital. That was like a total movie because it was so much drama. But, um, you know, the cool thing, I'll say this right now, throughout the whole experience, I never, ever felt scared. I think it's so cool to look back at that. I never felt scared. I felt a little anxious. I felt, I felt very anxious, actually, to meet her. I felt, um, I don't know, I, I felt a lot of pain, but scared that I was in danger or something horrible was going to happen. I never felt that. So that was cool. So I walk out of the car without him while he's like attempting to park. And I said, I got to get out. He's like, okay. So I walk out with my bag and I'm like, 
I'm going to have this baby. Doctor knows I'm here. She said, yes. She said, go up to this floor. And then I said, okay, hold on. Cause the other contract, the contraction was coming out. So I sit there and she's the lady, uh, receptionist stares at me like, does this woman need a wheelchair? Do we need to get her somewhere? I was like, okay, I'm cool. I'm cool. And I have the contraction, like <laughs> literally tears. It was painful, but I was just breathing through it. And I could just feel the little tear coming out the corner of my eye. My husband's staring at me like, oh, wow. We go up and they were waiting for me, the nurses and other staff. As I'm getting checked, you know, everything is questions, questions in between contractions. Everyone is wearing a mask, including us when we arrived. As soon as I arrived, like I was like, I'm not wearing this mask right now. Um, so I put it aside. Um, and then they had already our test results because they, they wanted our test results uh, that we were negative. It's supposed to be a COVID-free environment, this hospital, which I think is interesting because how does that happen 100%? I don't think that's possible. I mean, you could bring your tests, but I don't know. It, it, some tests are, are, are not accurate or what have you. Uh, with me, because I had it, before I had my antibody test and my husband had his negative tests and all of that. Um, so it was, it was interesting. And they asked us like three, four times about our tests. It's just a little, little bit annoying because you're not wanting to talk about that at that time. Um, so I get into the gown and they, the doctor comes to check me and guess what? I'm at one and a half centimeters. So that was really rough news. Basically, like at that point, my contractions had now been every five minutes. They were a lot, a lot stronger than from when I had told the doctor, gotten to the doctor's office the day before. So I was in shock. And, you know, that's when the anesthesiologist came in and offered me the epidural. And I was like, can we, we had a conversation about building up to it maybe taking something else. And we talked and talked. And then I was like, damn it, give me that patrol. <laughs> and it felt so damn good. Um, I, you know, my, all of my pain was on one side of my body, most of it. So it was, I felt like the side, the side of my body was burning, like totally like on fire. And, you know, it just numbed me. And I had not slept, like I said, the day before. So that was part of the reason I decided to do it also, because when the baby is coming, how am I going to have the energy to push and do these things? So we, I needed to get some rest and it was evening time by the day. It was evening time the next day. So that was part of the reason I also decided. So the epidural kept wearing off some a little less, you know, they thought it would be every three hours, but really on the second hour, I was like, oh, my damn, like I'm feeling this. And so, you know, I would get another little dose and we thought, okay, you know, they said, try to get some rest um, so that in the morning, you know, we could do some work. And I had brought my yoga ball and I was going to be walking and doing all these exercises to help bring my baby. And what happened was, okay, I'm going to try and get some rest and get some energy because I hadn't the night before and the epidural is going to help me do that. And instead what happened was the morning came, maybe like, I think it was like 5.30 in the morning. My doctor comes to check me and he says, oh, wow. Like he was really surprised. He said, you're at nine and a half. I said, what? He's like, you did, you know, this work that you were going to do the walking and this and that you did in your sleep. I said, Oh, wow. And it's not that I slept all those hours. I probably slept like two and a half, three hours, but I rested from that having such intense pain. 
Um, so literally my husband comes in, he's, you know, they, he has all the gear on, he has the mask on everything. And they gave me oxygen, like through my nose, which I found was nice. And he said, within about half an hour, you're going to have this baby. And at, at that time, my epidural started wearing off. And I was like, please bring that anesthesiologist in here. I can't have this baby in half an hour now. And I've been like all comfy with this epidural and it's going to wear off. Long story short, you know, with the timing of it all, some of it had worn off. I felt the pain. I worked through the contractions, but of course I did not feel it hundred percent. Like a lot of people without an epidural, semi-worn off epidural would have felt. Um, so they take me into the other room. And I just have to say, it was a very positive experience. It was a beautiful experience. I went in, I felt that I was in good hands. The pediatrician was also there. A lactation specialist was also there. My husband was next to me. The doctor, his assistant, uh, another nurse or two. And we were cracking jokes and I was just going with it. That's what I wanted. I had a playlist and uh, Carlos put my phone in his pocket, in his like front pocket. And I was listening to these songs and it was beautiful. And this is the part where I'm probably going to cry. Um, it was really nice. It was really nice. Um, I, once I went into the other room, I probably worked through like four or five contractions. Let me first say, you know, someone comes, I don't know who it was. I, I, I'm not paying attention. They put a mask on me. And I was like, what? I'm doing this with a mask. Like I already had it. And, you know, I could tell that my doctor was not happy about that. I don't think he felt that I needed it, but it was like a hospital protocol. The mask was loose, somewhat loose fitting. And because I had the oxygen going through my nose, that didn't make me feel like I was out of air or the mask was that annoying. So I was like, okay, whatever. And I just went with it. And I mean, everyone else was wearing them, but I just thought, sucks to be wearing one when you're the one pushing this baby out and you really need to focus on your breathing. But um, it, it wasn't really that bad at the end of the day. Um, so yeah, I went through four or five contractions pushing and I could, you know, there was just such a positive vibe in the whole room, which was great. We were all they're like, you're doing a good job. My husband's just next to me, holding my hand, putting his hand on my arm, you know, I'm pushing, I'm feeling very confident uh, that things are fine and they're going to be fine. And I close my eyes when I would push and I would just, I was visualizing my baby coming through. And after like the fourth or fifth contraction, I said, you know, she, this is it. Like she's coming. And I felt her come out of me like a fish out of water, which is, I mean, that's what it felt like. And I kept my eyes closed because I just wanted to hear her cry. I just that's when I thought, like, I just want to hear her cry. I just couldn't. And the doctor's like, look at your baby. And I said, I want to hear her cry. And I don't know what it was. I don't know what it was. And I opened my eyes, and the first thing I see was her butt. <laughs> so it wasn't her face, it was her little butt. And, you know, he turns her around and she was so beautiful. And that was the first thing we said was. She's beautiful. It's amazing what the body does. Like, it's amazing that a child can be born, that we were born. Like, we we are miracles. Like, each one of us is a miracle. I always felt that way. I've always seen each person, each person on this earth right now, as much as we are 
divided and so polarized. Like we are a walking miracle. And I wish we could get back to to that that beautiful fact and make these these issues that are going on around the world just work if that we can work together. Because when I look at something like that, like the process in the beginning of life, it is wow. Like seeing it, experiencing it, having it grow in your body and come out of your body and that first cry, the first everything, just makes everything, it simplifies it all. You know, I won't go into more details of, of the birth. I was really happy that my baby was able to latch on and I, I can breastfeed her within those first 15 minutes. And my wishes were respected for her to stay with me, for her to not be taken away. Um, the lactation specialist was a gem. And, um, you know, afterwards, the experience at the hospital, I will say, was horrible. Because of COVID, they had so many protocols, ridiculous protocols that to me did not make any sense to us. Um, there were people that would come in the room all the time um, to check on me, to throw out the trash, to change the sheets, to bring the food, which is all, you know, the medications. And this is fine. The some things are really necessary, but some things were not. I To meet the new staff that's on the new shift. But it was like every single hour interrupted for times. The calls, the intercom calls, there was no rest. A lot of it was because of COVID that all of these protocols were put into place. And it was like, well, we're trying to be COVID free. We should probably keep people out of this room. I had to eventually say, please leave me alone. Like unless it's necessary please, medications, whatever, whatever, please leave me alone. Leave us alone. Like we need to rest. We need to bond. Go away. <laughs> Go away. And I did. I did put in a complaint. Um, the next day we were offered to stay another night. And we were like, hell no. Like, and we're going to, you know, the insurance covers so much, but we're going to pay in this private hospital this much more to stay here with all this drama. We need to go home and just rest and be a family. And it was the best decision um, that we made. That is definitely something that I know that a lot of hospitals are, you know, they have all these protocols, but I know that because of COVID, it was just that much worse and annoying. Now, when we brought her home, you know, when you first bring a baby home, you're exhausted from the effort, the lack of sleep and just the healing process. Your hormones are out of whack. And as the days come, you start to see just how out of whack they are. You're overjoyed, but then you're, Three days later, you're crying and you feel sad. And I thankfully, you know, had read about all of this and I knew and I was telling my husband, like, this is what's happening. Uh, I don't want to just get lost in this. Like, this is what's happening. And I let myself feel that way. And I tried my best not to feel guilty about feeling that way because I knew it's just my hormones. I mean, we, I, they were used to being at a certain level to maintain a good pregnancy. And now I'm no longer pregnant and I'm healing, you know. I'm literally healing in diapers. Uh, no one ever talks about that. And I knew from reading, from the stories, from everything that this was coming. And that was so helpful. Um, it's very difficult for a new mom to have visitors during those times. And it's like, I don't know when the best time is. I'm, I'm feeling joyful right now. The baby's asleep. Come over. Or I'm really depressed. I'm not trying to have you see me cry right now. And, you know, I'm, I need to change my diaper. Probably not the best time to come over. And also with the pandemic, you cannot have, that's the thing, you can't have 
the same visitors as you would anyway, even after a while that the baby has been with you. This is all an adjustment. I do want to say that the pandemic has been a blessing in some ways to us. Had it not been for this pandemic, my husband would not have been with me at home for most of my pregnancy. That was a luxury, a luxury that we knew that we had. Had it not been for the pandemic, my husband would not be here right now, sitting next to me on the couch, holding the babies while I'm doing this podcast. Um, because, you know, he, he gets to work from home. We working from home. I'm, I'll be going back to work soon, working from home. Um, so it's, and all that has been facilitated from this pandemic. And I, I do have to say that is something that's very, that's been very nice that you need so much this time together as a family. Um, you know, it has been, the visits have been very difficult. I, I want so many people to meet her here in Mexico. I would love all her family from the Mexican side to meet her. You know, there are protocols. Carlos's family has met his immediate, has met her, but we only let You know, we've let like two people come in at a time. And the ones that come most are, of course, grandma and grandpa, uh, who've waited so, so long for this baby girl. Grandma had, uh, they had three three kids, all were boys. And then the first boy who got married had a baby, had a boy. And so she had been waiting and waiting and waiting for a girl to come into the family, both grandma and grandpa. So, you know, and it's like, okay, please wash your hands. And you just feel so weird asking people, please wash your hands. Don't breathe over my baby <laughs> or wear a mask. It's so uncomfortable to have those conversations because you don't want to be disrespectful. This is her blood. This is, these are the people that are going to love her the most in life. So that's another tearjerker there. Um, that's been another difficult thing about the pandemic. Um And now I'll go into the next one that's really, really, really painful. My family, I should have never started crying in the first place because see what happens is you start crying and then it just keeps coming and coming. So my family hasn't met her. Everyone's met her by video. My best friends, the people who are recording this right now, <laughs> Erica and Giovanna, have not met her. My bestest girlfriends, you know, from that are like my sisters, um, they all know who they are. They, they haven't met her. Um, and that's really hard for me. That's really hard that my parents, my brothers, my cousins who are like my siblings, um, aunts, uncles, all these people that already love her, that have been waiting so anxiously for her to come, that were checking on me. They haven't met her. It's all been video calls. And that's been hard. I, I try And I do a pretty good job at not thinking about it because if I think about it, it'll make me feel sad. But, you know, we just try to make responsible plans for this time uh, to consider when they would meet her, what would be the best way to do it. Now, in, and I feel that it will be soon. And I think that some people will judge, you know, those decisions. But I also, it's a family decision. And I don't think that we were made to live this world isolated. She, Did not come into this world. We were not all born into this world to live alone and to live isolated. I think that, you know, there are responsible ways that we can do this, creative ways that we can do this. And we have to fight to find those versus just staying at home and staying in our bubbles for the rest of our lives now that we have to live with this, with COVID here. I am undoubtedly not the same person that I was before this baby. Uh, of course, 
I'm still me in essence with my experiences and my personality, but now I'm a mom and now she is in my world and she consumes me and my mind revolves around her needs and things have a much deeper meaning to me now. Um, my time is that much more valuable. I, you know, I think at the end of the day, it's what's going to make this podcast that much more meaningful, even though it'll be difficult to schedule. Um, but thankfully I'm doing it with people that understand. But, you know, I look at my daughter now and I know that I want her to be, see, here we go again. <laughs> Whoever's listening to this podcast, I hope you got your tissue ready. I hope you, you brought your tissue ready for it, for it because good Lord, I haven't even cried for, actually, I haven't cried for some weeks. There were a lot of tears in the beginning. Uh, but now talking about this, oh my goodness. Uh, but I look at her and I know that I want her to be a part of the solution to the world's problems. And I hope that what I'm seeing in the world now is going to serve me uh, with the knowledge that I need to like show her to not, you know, fall into these same traps that many of us have fallen into and these obsessions of being right and being able to still be creative and do good things in the world. You know, I'm so, I, I don't know how I'm going to go back to work on one end, but on the other end, I'm so grateful I have the job that I have, that I have an opportunity to make a difference through Isla Urbana and what we do here in Mexico with clean water. Because during this whole pregnancy, during this whole pandemic, even during you know my time on maternity leave, I still see the updates. I still see what's going on. I still, you know, I've been a part of such an amazing movement that's brought clean water to so many people and such a awesome insanely talented group of caring and intelligent and brilliant individuals who have fought so hard during even a time where we've had uh, financial hardships, like many nonprofits, where we had to cut back so many things, but they fought so hard to make a difference. And that is always going to be something I could share with her that is hard and as difficult as trials may be that there's so much good that could still come out of it. And that's something that I've learned. Um, so I'm concluding now. I'm sure there's other things that I've wanted to say. I wanted to be, you know, I had some notes, things written down, but I also just wanted this to be me, my story to my baby that she could listen to one day that I hope can help people, that I hope can help build a bridge. But in conclusion... I wanted to say that, you know, we live in a world right now where judging others is our hobby. You know, social media is out of control. It's contributed to the extreme polarization and misinformation that's out there. Um, and that's why, like I said in the beginning, personal stories from people are now more important than ever. A real conversation and not debating through hours through your phone and your computer. Real conversation is the hard thing to do nowadays. Uh, that's the thing that no one wants to put time in, that I hope more will put time in. It's not easy to be vulnerable, to cry uh, in front of people, to put your story out there. Uh, but I also think that is the real tragedy to me during this time, that people don't want to be vulnerable. They're so stuck on just being right. Even you know, after having COVID myself, being on the other side of it, being fine, and refusing to live in fear. I refuse to live in fear. Um, I do, do live with concern for others. And I do think 
that we have wasted so much time in debating so many things that we have not invested at all the time we should have been investing in, in putting good, clear, and respectful plans in place for vulnerable populations. We've wasted so much time. And I hope that we can like get it together and start thinking about vulnerable people and how we can protect them during this time, during this pandemic, regardless of what you think of CDC data or not. Uh, while we argue more are dying, more are losing their jobs, more are suffering from mental illness, more are brewing in their anger and their division, is that really our end goal here? At the sake of being right, is that really what we're trying to get to? I do not have all the answers. I'm not always the best communicator. I'm not. Even some of the podcasts I put out there, I'm like, oh, damn. You know, I'm, I'm working on this. But I only know that it is important to listen to each other. That it's hard to do that, you know, when we are constantly at odds, when we're so stuck on being right, and when we're so caught up in all this propaganda and stuff that's being thrown at us online. It's not so much social media. I don't think it's a place to have genuine, heartfelt conversations. I personally now, after all this experience, don't have time for much of that anymore. But I'm here on this podcast, and this is how I am going to do it. And I hope you guys will continue to tune in and support it. And I thank you so much, so much for listening to my personal story during this very pivotal historic time. Thank you. And I hope you'll tune in for next time on Rebellious Soul. Thanks again for tuning into Rebellious Soul. You can find me on Twitter at Sol underscore Garcia. That's S-O-L underscore G-A-R-C-I-A and on Instagram at Sol Sunny Sol. That's S-O-L-S-U-N-N-Y-S-O-L. Until next time. <laughs>